introduce services this morning with a scripture from Luke chapter 3. I'd like to read verses 1 and 2, at least a portion of it. There's a lot here, and I'll lean on Brother Phil if I need to, because he's, got a, he's been helping me out a lot when it comes to these uh, various uh, names and, and uh, important events that were taking place in terms of uh, Rome of that day. Notice with me in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Luke. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Ananias, or Annas, and Caiaphas being the high priest. So there's a lot going on there, isn't there? It's interesting that uh, the Bible is uh, very relative to what's going on all around us. I don't know how to say this, but it's actually a great timepiece. It's a historical narrative, if you will, of what goes on in many places including here at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first advent, the Lord coming into this earth. Um, If I may use a strategic term, as a spearhead, the Lord enters into this earth. There's a lot going on. And the Bible doesn't deny it. We don't deny it as New Testament Christians. We're told to pray for all those that are in authority. Kings and uh, presidents, if you will. All those who are ministers of God, Romans 13 tells us, that are subject to the sovereignty of God and we subject to them. So there's a level of authority that we as Christians respect. In other words, we're not insurgents, are we? We are humbly serving God according to His will in our life, wherever we may be along that great time span of events. So the Bible doesn't deny what's going on here. In fact, it's a timepiece and a dictionary or an explanation of what's going on, actually. Tiberius Caesar, the son of Augustus, a Roman emperor, a lot going on. If you can just Google that name, you'll know what I mean. It's far too extensive to just talk about all the things that are going on in that power structure. Well, that's the dominion of this world. I understand that the moon has no light of its own. It only reflects the sun. Well, in a sense, I guess if you were standing on the moon and looked back at this earth, you could say the same about earth. It has no light of its own. And here we are with the world surrounding us. We could say it's the darkness of this world. Very powerful. In fact, if you were living in the time when this was written, you could say that the darkness was so prevalent. It had no darkness of its own. But if you, if you could see it from a distance, I think it would be a, a globe full of darkness. The darkness of paganism. The darkness of... Uh, religiosity gone wrong, however terrible it was and corrupt it was, Judaism per se, was still 
referred to as the Lord as my father's house. So that's something to consider. But if you could look at it from a distance, you could see a dark globe, a sphere, with a little flashlight, if you will. Just one little flashlight shining somewhere there in Jerusalem as it reflected the light of the institution that God put in force during the Old Testament period of time. And it must have been something respected even by Rome because there Herod the Great mentioned in this text was a very powerful influence in preserving the institution of Judaism. They allowed it. They tolerated it. We mentioned it several weeks ago that, you know, it wasn't so tolerant by the time Paul was in Philippi, if you remember. But it must have been something, and I contribute that to the providence of God because Rome wasn't very tolerant at all in terms of religion. But it was dark. It was, it was prevailing dark. It was a period of time which really was dark in that perspective. I mean, but if you look at it today, if you look at that same world today, you will see not just a dark world with a flashlight, a single flashlight, a little beacon of light. You will see lights all over this world shining forth. Because what started as the spearhead of Christ, the first advent, when he came to the sin-cursed earth, he shined, he was a light to what? The Gentiles. The fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies was literally fulfilled in the coming of Christ. But we might think, and we would have a tendency, that this was to be broadcasted much greater than it was. I mean, you had to go to the hillsides of Judea in a place called Bethlehem and see a few shepherds that recognized the light that shone about and the angels singing, you know, glory to God in the highest. I mean, it wasn't a whole lot going on in terms of the world and the world's perception of the coming of Christ, the first advent of God manifest in the flesh. It should have been something magnanimous, if you will. But it wasn't, was it? It was hidden. It was hidden from view. And of those of us, and I include myself, who get wrapped up a lot in the Tiberius Caesars of the world and expect our Messiah to be from the powerful elites of this world's government, we are sadly mistaken and oftentimes discouraged when our man doesn't win or our, our politician doesn't get all the votes. You see? But what's going on here is very powerful in terms of encouraging us in the same way. Now, there's no doubt that what's going on in the Tiberius Caesars and the Pontius Pilots of the world is very instrumental in terms from God's standpoint. Don't ever mistake and mis, uh, uh, deny that. I mean, God is involved in the sovereignty, is his he is sovereign over the affairs of this world. And what goes on, goes on under his authority and rule and reign. We've mentioned that as well. But while all this is going on, what, what do we see undercurrent? What do we see going on in terms of the spiritual realm? Notice the last half of verse 2. The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Isn't that powerful? 
So while the elites and the politicians and the government move, and they do move, they are moving, they continue to move, and we witness it. But underneath that, there's the power of God working, creating a highway in the desert, establishing his kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? There's a kingdom of darkness, and there's a kingdom of light. What a beautiful timepiece. By the way, when we speak about timepiece, the Bible being a great clock, if you will, perfect. One of the greatest books in the Bible that speaks of God's timing of events is back in Daniel when he forecasted the exact period of time in which Christ would enter into this world. The same time that we read about. If not exactly thereabout, if we don't know the exact time, he talked about those 70 weeks. And you can read about it. That's why Anna, uh, what was her name? Anna, the prophetess, and also Simeon. What were they doing in the temple of God? They were waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were hoping for the coming Redeemer. How did they prepare? How did they know it was the time and the season? Because God's Word is an accurate timepiece, isn't it? It's an accurate timepiece. And we read about it right there. But just remember, as the world and the power of the world prevails and things happen, things come and go, God is working out His kingdom to His own glory in the lives of His people. This is just a little sequel, a ten-minute sequel, that we mentioned several weeks ago about lights shining in this world. Our job right now in this old-time world, in this dark world, is to continue to bear witness to the greater light, the Lord Jesus Christ, shining forth, working things out, keeping yourselves in the love of God, keeping your foot as you go to the house of God, preserving His words in this time world in which we live. May the Lord bless you. Isaiah chapter 40. I love this chapter. I love the whole chapter. Probably won't get through the whole chapter, but it's really, really good. It, uh, it talks about uh, several things. The riches that we have in Christ. It talks about the sovereignty of Christ. It talks about our depravity. I don't really like to hear about our depravity, but it's in the scriptures and it describes my situation. And so I do need to hear about it. And I don't really like preaching about it, but, uh, but unless I just skip over it, it's in the scriptures to emphasize as well. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40 does bring that out. And it brings in the great comparison between ourself and God and his power and our weakness in and of ourselves. It, uh, it tells us also about the, uh, about the end of the story and how that we are... Uh, victors through Christ and I like that um, we talked a little bit about and, and brother Danny mentioned the other day about uh, the book of Revelation and how much that there's a lot that we don't understand in the book of Revelation but one thing we do understand is that Jesus Christ is the winner 
and the, uh, the people that Jesus Christ represents are winners as well. And so if we can read Revelation through those lens to realize that we're victors through Christ and that Christ is a victor, it'll help us as we look at some of the challenging verses in the book of Revelation. Let's, go, let's start with Isaiah chapter 40. Really, really good. Isaiah chapter 40 starts out and he, he tells us what we're to preach about. And he tells us how to preach it. He tells us what to preach and he tells us how to preach it. He starts out and he says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Uh, delivering this message that Isaiah is burdened to share. He says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Ultimately, at the end of the day, after the message is proclaimed, it should be a message that encourages the Lord's people. Now, throughout the message, it may address a variety of things. It may address our depravity. It may address our sinful desires. It may address our temptations. It may address our struggles. But at the end of the day, when the message is proclaimed, the message that Brother Steve brings, that Brother Asa brings, that Brother Chuck brings, at the end of the day, at the end of the message, the message should be a message of encouragement and comfort to the Lord's people. So he starts out right here and he says, the message that you're to bring, and then he tells us the content of the message. He said, the message that you're to bring to God's people should be a message of comfort. Wonder why? Because God's people need comforting. Because God's people need encouragement here in this life. He starts out and he says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. He then tells us who to bring the message to. Doesn't say to bring it to everybody, but it says to bring it to the Lord's people. The Lord knows who his people are and he knows where they are. And only the Lord's people are going to have any appreciation for the message of Jesus Christ. He says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. And then he says something else right here. And I think this is really, really great for us, for uh, ministers to take heed to. He says, not only are you to bring a message that's ultimately comforting and encouraging to the Lord's people, but he says, you as a minister should pray that God will bless you to speak it comfortably to the Lord's people. So it does matter, I think, to some degree, how we deliver the message. It needs to be delivered in a manner in which it can encourage and comfort the Lord's people. You almost have to be able to understand the message in order for it to bring about comfort. And so it should be a message that God has blessed you with, to enlighten you with, to open up the scriptures, to bring about a measure of comfort when the message comes. So he says you should bring a comforting message and you should deliver it in the same manner in which the message has the content. He says, speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem. And then he tells us what the message is. And this is a portion of, this is the, this is the bottom line or the end of the story of the message. He says, speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity is pardoned. I I would expect that probably the greatest struggle that we have, and this was brought out uh, Wednesday night a week and a half ago, is the struggle that we have with ourselves. When we look at ourself in the mirror, when we see ourself, that the greatest struggle that we have is self And the greatest part of that struggle is the iniquities that we know that we have. Whether it's the outward iniquities that we say, whether it's the the places that our feet take us, or whether it's the iniquity of the mind, 
we're convicted by that iniquity. And that iniquity burdens us and it grieves us and it'll get us down and it's very discouraging when we realize that iniquity. But he says that you as a gospel minister are to deliver a message to folks that to tell them that their iniquity that they're burdened with is pardoned. Now that's some good news. That's some encouraging news. That's some comforting news. That an iniquity that we can't pay the price for, that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. And he says, you tell them that their warfare is accomplished. The Lord's people have a lot of warfares here in this life and a lot of struggles. But it's really good if we can come to the place that we realize, as Brother Mark reminded us a while ago, that our times are in the Lord's hands. That the Lord's in control, that we're in his hand. And he says, ultimately, that our warfare, if we only realize this, the warfare, the price has been paid for our warfare. And he says that the warfare is accomplished. It's not accomplished because we lived so good. We we followed Christ so closely. But our warfare is accomplished because of what Jesus Christ did for you and I. It's completely paid for and it's paid in full. He says, your warfare is accomplished and your iniquity is pardoned. And then I like this right here. These are for the math students right here. This one right here helps you to really understand it and calculate it out uh, to its fullest extent. Just in case you wonder if the price for our sins have just barely been paid for or almost paid for or 100% paid for. He says right here, he says, you tell the Lord's people... You tell them that their warfare is accomplished, that their iniquity has been paid for, and you tell them that the Lord paid for it doubly over. He didn't just barely pay for it. He didn't make a down payment on your sins or your salvation, but he paid for it not only in full, but he paid for it twice over. Now, if somebody's paid your bill in full, then nobody can lay it to your charge. But if somebody's paid for your bill twice over... Paid it in full, and if there's anything else that might be owing, I'll pay that too. That's what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. So at the end of the day, you stand in a really good position with Jesus Christ because of what he did for you. Real good news. He says, then you, uh, you tell the Lord's people this wonderful story. In, uh, uh, in uh, first. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, To whom God would make known the riches of his glory, of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. This message is to the Lord's people. And the Lord's people have experienced something that, uh, that's really, as Brother Danny brought out, Brother Daniel, that it's really, really special. And here's what it is. Brother Danny pointed us in this direction, and here's what it is. Which is Christ in you. If Christ is in you, it's because he put himself in you. If Christ is in you, it's because he quickened you with his spirit. If Christ is in you, it's because he made you spiritually alive. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because Christ is in you. If you have faith, it's because Christ is in you. If you have a hope in heaven and a hope in glory, it's because Christ is in you. If you believe that this world was framed 
by the voice of God and he spoke it into existence with his power, it's because Christ is in you. And if Christ is in you, you're in a blessed place. Let's look at one more place right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I, I, I love this, I love this uh, portion, uh, wonderful portion of, of Scripture. And it, it emphasizes Christ being in us as well. He starts out and he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore seeing we have this ministry. As we have received mercy, we faint not. What is it that keeps you from pitching in the towel? What it, there, there's some of you here that you've had or you have a pretty rough road. And from the world standpoint, it might look like that you might give up and, and get discouraged and you might pitch in the towel. But here Paul starts out and he says, we've received some things and that keeps us from pitching in the towel. It keeps us from fainting not is what Paul says it right, right here. He says, we have received mercy, we faint not. He said, I'm just going to scan through the next few verses and really get down to verse 6 where it really describes it. He says, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And then he just plugs this in here. He says, but if our gospel be hid... And I believe that's the message of Jesus Christ as a whole. He says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. The lost are not going to have an appreciation for the things of God until God quickens them with his spirit. But once God quickens with his spirit, there's all of a sudden a fertile ground to hear the gospel and rejoice in the gospel. He says, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world, that's Satan and the gods of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not and the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. Now I'm going to just throw this out right here. Not everybody has to believe the doctrine the same way I believe it or we believe it. God tells us that he has a people out of every nation, kindred, and tongue. That he has a people out of every tribe. And they may not understand some of the five points of the doctrine that we might understand it. But that does not mean that they're not a child of God. It also may be that God may not have opened their eyes... And it also may mean that it could be that they're like the thief upon the cross that lived his entire life. And then in the last hour of his life or last minutes of his life, the Lord touched him with his spirit and quickened him. And so we have that example. That's not the standard of the norm necessarily. God can quicken folks and make them alive as he does. And we have uh, evidence that he does while uh, upon their uh, like John while in his mother's womb or David while upon his mother's breast or it could be as late in life as the thief upon the cross or anything in between that the Spirit of God can sovereignly quicken and make alive an individual. Amen. But he says right here and he begins to describe what Brother Danny pointed us toward the other day. He says, For God 
who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now, I believe that he's pointing all the way back to the very beginning when he said, in the beginning, there was God and God created this earth and God created light and God created the earth and all things therein. And God spoke it into existence with his power. And it was effective right then. When he said, let there be light, there was a lot behind that. And, and this verse makes reference to it right here. When he said, let there be light, I don't believe there was uh, any negotiation that went on. I don't believe there was any negotiation that went on between God and, 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 and Satan or God and anybody else. God who had all power and he had created it. And if he created it, he could determine when and where and how he speaks light into existence. And so when God spoke light into existence and he said, let there be light, immediately, I believe that there was light. Now, let me ask you, won't you go try to create light like God did? I, I, I don't think that I wouldn't even know where to start in creating the sun. I can appreciate the sun. I'm thankful for the sun, but I can't even look at the sun. If I, if I look at the sun without having some type of protection, I'll lose what little vision I have left. And, 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 and I know better than to do that. I wouldn't know where to start in creating the sun. God said, let there be light. But I want to look at this because he makes a reference to this. He makes a reference to this wonderful creation that he spoke into existence. He says, for God who commanded light to shine out of darkness... God, who has that same awesome power. It says, for God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. It says, he hath shined in our hearts. So when God spoke light into existence, he speaks that life-giving voice and that light that you spoke to us about on Wednesday night into our heart. And God, who was just as effective in speaking light into existence, he's equally effective when he plants that light in our heart. Brother Steve, that's the only way we can shine these lights is because he shined it in our heart. Great message that Brother Steve brought forth. God shines this light. He's the author of that light and he shines it in our heart. And it's just that effective. It says, for God who hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And after Brother Daniel's message, I, I texted him this verse because it was so in line and, and it just, I love this verse right here. For we, that's you and I, that's every one of us. In fact, that's all the family of God. That's all the children of God. For we have this treasure. The treasure is something that's extremely valuable. That's a great blessing. It's something that's a prized possession. This is the greatest possession that you will possess. This wonderful treasure that you have. Now he says we have this treasure in he says, for we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's earthen 
vessel. Earthen vessel are these, these bodies that we, that we carry around. And he says that in these bodies, that God has put something in there that comes from God, that God is the author of, that God is the sustainer of. He says, for we have this treasure, treasure in earthen vessels that the ex- excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He just reminds us over and over again. He says, by the way, it's not of you. It's of God. It's all of God. He says, you have this treasure. It's in an earthen vessel. And he says, it's by God. And he says, by the way, this treasure that's on the inside that you possess, that's what keeps you from giving up. That's what keeps you from pitching in the towel. That's what keeps you along the way. Here's what he says. He says, we're troubled on every side. A lot of people have lots of troubles. We'd like to avoid them. We'd like to escape them. But in this life, we're going to have troubles and trials. He says we're troubled on every side. But he says the troubles are not going to overtake us. He says we're not distressed. He says we're, we're perplexed. Anybody here ever get perplexed? Just, just don't know what to do? You, you just... Um, I expect sometimes parents get perplexed. I, I, you get perplexed? Why don't you just quit? You can't because there's something on the inside. He says we're perplexed, but he says in the midst of being perplexed, we're not forsaken. He says, no, we're not. He says we're, we're not distressed. We were perplexed, but we're not in despair. In the midst of being perplexed, we're not in despair. He says we're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. And he comes on down in verse 16, and he says, For this cause, for which cause? That's this indwelling presence and spirit of God on the inside. For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish. That's this tabernacle of clay. Though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's what keeps us from getting overly discouraged and what encourages us. Along the way, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 40, and we just want to really scan through this really, really good chapter. I'm going to go down to uh, uh, let's let's go down to verse nine. It, it's it's all really good, but for time's sake, I'd encourage you to go home and read it. It starts out and it tells us about His power and His authority and His compassion upon us. And how that he's the creator and he has all strength and he's taken his spirit and he's planted it right inside you. O Zion that bringest good tidings. That's a wonderful message. Get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up and be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. You, you can't ever go wrong pointing folks 
in the direction of the Lord. We were reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we're not to look on the things of the world, that that discourages us, that weights us down. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we just simply point folks toward the Lord, not to get salvation, but because they have salvation. He says, tell them, behold your God. Behold, the Lord will come with a strong hand and his arm will rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He he just basically says he's in charge. And I'm just so glad to know that he is in charge. He says, he says, he shall, he says, the Lord will come with a strong hand. His arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and he shall carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. That even though he has all power, that in the midst of this awesome power that God has, that he has us right there in the palm of his hand, and we're secure in the hands of the Lord. He says, by the way, he hath measured, he says, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and hath meted out heaven with the span. he's, He's giving us a comparison of how powerful that God is. He said, that God has measured out the waters in the hollow of his hand and, and meted out heaven with the span and, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. He says, who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him who can teach God anything. God has all power. God created the heavens. God created the earth. And it says that, 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 that we don't have the power to measure out the waters. We can measure a portion, a small portion of the waters, but we can't measure the waters. We can't measure or weigh the mountains. We don't have the ability to do that, but God does. God made the mountains and he knows he has all power. He says, who took he with him, uh, with, with whom took he counsel or who entrusted him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him to the way of understanding? And then he says, behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and counted as a small dust upon the balance. The old time grocery stores that uh, understand that Kleins used to use this uh, way of this method in uh, in Forest Hill of of weighing the uh, the produce and things like that. The the scales that would would uh, you'd measure it out on the old time old time scales. He says right here. He says, the nations, all the nations are as a drop in the bucket and counted as small dust upon the balance. He says, behold, he taketh up the isles or the islands as a very little thing. When when I was in the Philippines, it's above my comprehension. But I was told that there were, if not hundreds, thousands of little islands around the Philippines, which I just couldn't even comprehend more than three or four or five or six. And yet there's Hundreds, if not thousands of islands. It says that God looks at that and it's a very little thing to God. He says Lebanon is not sufficient to burn nor the beast thereof sufficient for an offering. He says all nations before him are as nothing and they are counted to him as less than nothing and vanity. he's, he's, He's not saying that there's not a value in it because God created it. And everything that God creates, there's a value in. But what he is saying is in comparison to the sovereignty and the power 
and the awesome presence and ruling and reigning of God that we're really, really small in relation to who God is and what he's created and what he holds into existence that we're but a small thing. He says, to whom will you liken God or what likeness will you compare unto him? He says, the workman melteth a graven image and goldsmith spreadeth over it with gold and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished and he that hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workmanship to prepare a graven image and he shall not be moved. He said, you might try to create something that would represent God in the best ability. and You might take the prized possession that you might have or something that might last a long time. But he says, have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Hath it not been understood from the foundations of the earth that, that it is he that setteth upon the circle of the earth? And he says, and the inhabitants, that's you and I, he says, it's he that setteth upon the circle of the earth. And he says, the inhabitants there are, uh, uh, thereof are as grasshoppers. And he stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and stretcheth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Uh, he, he just basically says, we're pretty small in the sight of Almighty God. He says, and by the way, he's even in charge of the, of the princes of the earth. He can bring them to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. I'm just going to toss this out right here because this is something that I firmly believe. And I've shared this with some other folks. I've shared this with folks that didn't have the same political conviction that I have. And I'll just share this with you. It's not a political sermon at all. But I believe that we're taught that before we vote, we ought to pray. And I believe that we're taught that while we're voting, we ought to pray. And I believe that after we vote, we ought to pray. And I want to tell you that as much as I believe you ought to vote, I had a fifth grade teacher. She was my dad's fifth grade teacher. Something she told me, I'm sure she told my dad, but it didn't stick with my dad. It stuck with me. I remember she, she said, when I was in the fifth grade, she says, she says, told us all we ought to vote. And she says, if you don't vote, you don't have any right to complain about the direction of the country if you don't vote. Well, she told me that. Now, that didn't stick with my dad. But it did. My dad complains, and he doesn't vote. So, uh, but I want to tell you that not only do I think you ought to vote, and I think it, Tristan, that's you too. If you're old enough to have a job at Burger King, you're old enough to vote. But I want to tell you something. As much as I think you ought to vote, I think you ought to pray. Because you know what? As much as you ought to vote, your prayers will make even a bigger difference than that. God is the one that's in charge of changing the hearts. Talk about somebody changing ballots. I believe God could even change ballots if he wanted to. I believe he could. But you've got more power. I believe we ought to vote because I believe we have that right. But I believe that you have much more power to change the hearts through going to the Lord in prayer. 
So pray before you vote. That'll help you on how to vote. Pray while you vote, and then pray after you vote. I don't know how that came up, but just um, it's something that I had a conversation with with some family members recently in Texas, so it's not here. So uh, he comes on down, and he says right here, verse 25, To whom will ye liken me, and to whom shall I be equal, saith the Lord? He said people try to make images to worship. They'll pick gold. They'll pick the finest wood. They'll try to create something that they can worship. But he said, don't they realize that I'm even in charge of that? And he says, there's really not anything at all that you can compare me to. I own everything. I own the cattle of a thousand hills. I own the very breath that you breathe. You wouldn't breathe the next breath if it wasn't for me allowing you to breathe it and me providing that oxygen for you. I'm in charge of your life. I'm in charge of the very next breath. You may think you're in charge of your own life, but God's in charge of it. And you know, I'm glad he is. I am. He comes down. And he says in verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord of the creator of the ends of the earth, that, that this one that, that you attempt to worship, that I'm talking to you about, It says, this God doesn't faint. This God doesn't get weary. There is no searching of his understandings. And then he comes down and then he talks about us. And he says, first of all, you have a God that has all power. You have a God that created this earth. You have a God that holds it into existence. And so he says, when you get a little bit down, when you get a little bit discouraged, When you get a little bit weary along the way, remember that you have a God and that he's done something that's on the inside of you. And that's what keeps you going along the way. That's what keeps you facing the trials and troubles and difficulties of this life. And he says right here, he, I love these next three verses. He says, he, who this individual that we've been talking about that has all power that is in charge of creation that's in charge of holding this earth in existence, that's in charge of your salvation, that's in charge of your destiny. He says, he giveth power to the faint. You ever get weary and think about fainting? Then you know where to get power. You know where to get strength. It says, he giveth power to the faint. To them that hath no might, he increaseth their strength. I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life, even in my younger years, that I got so tired, so weary, and had a responsibility that I felt like so great that I I almost didn't have the strength to put one foot in front of the other. It may get worse as you get older when you have the trials and difficulties of life. But he says right here, he says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that hath no might, he giveth strength. It's because the Lord gives us the strength to keep on keeping on. And then he says right here, even the youths shall faint and be weary. Even the young men shall utterly fall. But this last verse, I love this. But they that wait on the Lord. It doesn't mean that we don't do anything. It means that we're doing all we know to do while we're waiting and leaning on and depending on the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. To me, that's a message 
of comfort. I may not have delivered it to you in a comforting manner, but that's the message of comfort. That God's in control. That he's in you. And you're overcomers because of Christ in you. Thanks for presenting that thought, Brother Danny, a week and a half ago. A great blessing. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.